Hey, uh, good afternoon, everybody, and uh, welcome to River Glen. Great to see you. How's everybody doing? Good, good. You know, today's kind of a heavy subject, kind of a tough topic, and so I brought along a tray of cookies to kind of try and lighten things up. You guys like cookies? Oh, yeah, cookies are awesome, aren't they? And, uh, you know, cookies are little. It's not like you ate a big piece of pie or a big piece of cake, and it doesn't really seem like it's going to impact you very much. And uh, they're, they're little. They're, they're, just, they're just wonderful. I know they're a big deal at our house. My wife and kids are always, uh, you know, baking cookies and eating cookies, and uh, everybody's got a favorite cookie, right? And so by show of applause here, uh, let me know which one is your uh, favorite, all right? Uh, how about this one right here? How about if we start with this one? Just a standard chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, yeah, gotta love these, right? You know, I would say this is my all-time favorite right here. That's a nice one right there. I'd like to, I'd like to have that one myself. Yeah, nothing like a big stack of uh, chocolate chip cookies and a and an ice-cold uh, glass of milk. And then somebody came along, and uh, they decided to add chocolate to the chocolate chip cookie. How about that one? Yeah, we've got a few chocoholics here. Yeah. And uh, let's see, what else we got here? Peanut butter cookie? Yeah. Man. Some of you have had some peanut butter cookies, I think. And then some of you people are just, you know, sugar cookie, sprinkle it, frost it, you know, uh, you know the sugar cookie. And then, hey, I'm going to show you this one here. Uh, somebody decided to call this a cookie. No, friends, this is styrofoam. <laughs> All right? You know, they call it the ice cream cookie because it's uh, chocolate vanilla or uh, strawberry. No, no, no. This isn't worthy to be a doorstop. <laughs> All right? It tastes like paper. I don't know why they called it a cookie. And, uh, you know, if you, if you created it, I, uh, I apologize. And then uh, we've got one more here. Um, yeah, the Oreo. Yeah. And uh, this one's double stuffed, uh, which makes it uh, extra special. And uh, I'll tell you what, I think on the eighth day after God created the earth, he, uh, he created the uh, Oreo. And that just says God loves you um, all over it. Now, we're going to talk about a principle here uh, today that has a lot to do with cookies. And some of you are maybe getting a little bit scared that I'm going to talk about dieting. That's not what this is about at all. All right. Not, not, not at all. This is about... Uh, cookies in, in, in your life and how you respond when somebody eats your cookies. I mean, all of us have had people come into our lives and eat uh, cookies. And uh, hey, I got my friend here, Logan's going to come on out. Um, Logan's wife, everybody. Yeah. And uh, one reason Logan's out here is because uh, this week Logan's uh, uh, beginning a new job on our staff. And uh, he grew up in our church. He, uh, uh, whoa. Um, he, he, he grew up here, he did an internship here for the last year, and uh, this week he's going he's gonna to begin a, a new job uh, with us, and so I wanted to uh, let you know that, but you know what, uh, yeah, give him a hand. Except one thing, he's eating my cookies. Yeah, and uh, you know, that's my favorite one, that's chocolate chip. Yeah, I was waiting on that one, Yeah. And, uh, you know, really, as uh, Logan enjoys these cookies, yeah, you can have that one. Go for that, yeah. Um, you know, there's two ways, there's two options here on how I can respond. One way is uh, payback, you know, and uh, that's a very common option. And uh, it goes like this, Logan, man, you're such a jerk. How could you do that? You know, how could you take that cookie? How could you eat that cookie? I am going to punish you and remove your enjoyment for eating my chocolate chip cookie. I'm going to pray for God to send you a gluten allergy. And uh, 
You know, this is going to be your first and your last week on our staff. I'm going to miss you around here. And uh, because I don't get mad, I get even. And uh, so that's one option is uh, payback. That doesn't really work very good. And so here's another option. And uh, that would be the guilt trip. And, uh, you know, that goes like this. Logan, you know, you, you, you eat my chocolate chip cookie there. And, uh, you know, I want you to know that I saved up my money for several weeks to buy these cookies. Not these, okay? You know, those are trash. But the rest of these cost a lot of money, all right? And, uh, yeah, that one there especially. And I was going to give these cookies to some needy kids later on. I was going to give these to the food pantry later on. Yeah, but you go ahead and enjoy that uh, cookie. And since I'm a follower of Jesus, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to forgive you. And then imagine a, a few days from now, Logan and I are eating, in the, uh, eating lunch in the conference room, assuming he's still on our staff. And, you know, I'm eating a piece of chocolate cake, and I say, Logan, I love chocolate cake. But you know what I love even more? Chocolate chip cookies, and you ate mine. Yeah, and I just pile on the, the uh, guilt. But really, neither of those options, guilt or payback are a very good way to deal with the tray of uh, cookies. All right, thanks, Logan. Let's give Logan a hand. Yeah, good job, man. Whoa. <clears throat> now, obviously, we're not really talking about cookies today, but cookies, these cookies, represent something valuable in your life that somebody's taken from you. And for instance, maybe you went through an unwanted divorce or breakup, and somebody promised to love you always, and they cheated on you, they betrayed you, they walked away from you in some way, and maybe you even tried guilt or payback. For some of you, the issue is with your employer. You work hard, you get to work early, you skip lunch, you do everything they ask you to do, and every time a promotion comes up, it, uh, somebody else gets it. And you still work there, but you harbor bitterness and resentment towards your employer. For some of you, the issues with your parents. You know, maybe your mom was verbally abusive, or maybe your dad was an alcoholic and was just never around. Or maybe it's a family member that stole your innocence or, your, or a friend that stole your dignity. All of us have had people come into our life and hurt us in some way and steal our cookies. And today we're going to talk about, you know, how do you deal with that? As we continue this series called Beyond Ordinary. Big idea for this series is that uh, nobody wants to live an ordinary life, right? Ordinary is not anybody's goal, especially when extraordinary is possible with God's help. And so we're talking about key areas of life where God wants to lead us beyond ordinary. And today we're talking about beyond ordinary forgiveness. But before we talk about beyond ordinary forgiveness, I thought it'd be good to talk a little bit about ordinary forgiveness Ordinary forgiveness is when somebody has done something uh, to you and they come to you and they admit it and they ask for your forgiveness. And that's no small thing, okay? That's a, that's a big deal. And I'm saying that the odds are pretty high that some of us here need to ask for or extend ordinary forgiveness to somebody this week. I've mentioned this before, I think, but ordinary forgiveness includes, it starts with a true apology. And there's really three parts to a true Apology. I'm sorry, I was wrong, and will you forgive me? It's not an easy thing to do, and it's not a very common thing either. I mean, you know, how many times would you say somebody has come to you and done all three of those and fully apologized and said, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and will you forgive me without making any excuses or rationalizing what they did? And I'm saying that probably somebody listening needs to seek 
ordinary forgiveness from somebody in your life because you've hurt somebody, maybe because of something you said or something that you did, or maybe it was something that you've sh- you should have done. And I ask you, even as I ask myself, is there anybody that you need to go to in your life this week and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I, I, I think some of us need to go after ordinary forgiveness today. But for the sake of our conversation today, I really want to focus on beyond ordinary forgiveness. And here's the difference. Beyond ordinary forgiveness comes into play when somebody has done something to you and either they deny it or they don't regret it or you really have no idea where they're at with it. Beyond ordinary forgiveness is also for those times when somebody does apologize, but the pain and the hurt are so deep, it really doesn't make any difference. Beyond ordinary forgiveness is also when needed when you've experienced abuse from somebody who's supposed to love you, when a, a coworker has uh, betrayed you or taken advantage of you, or when the person who wronged you is no longer around, but the pain and the bitterness lingers. Here's the best way to know if you're facing a beyond ordinary forgiveness uh, situation. When I say these two words, who comes to mind? And here's the two words, can't forgive. When you hear those words, can't forgive, who comes to mind? My assumption is that many of us have faced a situation and we believe we can't forgive someone. And to this day, we still carry the pain and bitterness and anger associated with whatever happened that day or or that season of of our life. But before we fully embrace the can't forgive perspective, I'd love for us to to consider these words written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And you can find these words in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31. And, And to be honest, Paul's words may seem a little bit insensitive to you. Take a look at what he says here. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Notice here how Paul says, you know, get rid of it. And I'm saying that uh, Paul did a lot of things really well, but I don't think he would have been a very good uh, counselor because before he even listens to your story of how somebody wronged you and stole your cookies, he like cuts you off and he says, just get rid of it. Get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of the, the anger. You say, but Paul, my parents divorced when I was little. My dad was hardly ever around, and it didn't really seem like he cared at all, and I feel so bitter about it. And Paul the counselor says, get rid of it. That's all for now. You can pay on your way out. That'll be $100 next. And you think he can't say that because he hasn't heard my story. Surely, if he heard my story of how somebody wronged me, how somebody hurt me, there would be some kind of exception clause in there, right? And so when we hear Paul's words today, I think most of us respond in one of three ways. First way I think that some of us respond is we just deny it and we say, I don't have any bitterness. I don't have any uh, anger. It's it's like a blind spot in our life. We don't see where bitterness and anger have a grip on on our heart. But other people can see it very clearly. Because if you're bitter towards somebody, you don't see them objectively. And you pick them apart. And this root of bitterness grows in your, in your heart, and you tend to be critical of others, and you tend to complain. And if someone talks to me about my anger issue, I just, I just fly off the handle. And so we need to open up our heart and mind to the possibility 
that bitterness exists in my life. All right, the second response is that we may be very aware of the bitterness that has a, a, a hold on us in our life, uh, but in response to Paul's words, we say, you know, I, I have it, but I don't want to get rid of it. You know, I, I want to hold on to it because if I let go of it, that's going to be, be like allowing this other person to win. They get off scot-free. There's no justice in that. But here's what I've discovered over the years after talking to many people about this. I've discovered that when we develop bitterness and anger towards someone else, it eats us up. You know, take a look at this quote from Anne Lamott. Look at what she says here. She says, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. That's a vivid picture of what bitterness does to us. It doesn't kill the other person. It kills us, okay? And then the third response to Paul's words is that I've got bitterness, but I just don't know how to deal with it. You know, I don't know how to extend. I don't know how to offer beyond ordinary uh, forgiveness. And so Paul goes on to provide a very practical next step. But before I share that with you, I want you to understand something really important about Paul's situation. Paul's not writing these words from the beach in Cancun. Paul's writing from a prison cell after his friends and the government officials and even other Christians who he tried to help all treated him unjustly. I mean, Paul has plenty of reasons to be angry at the, at the Jews, angry at the Romans, even angry at other Christians, and you could argue angry at God. Because after Paul converted to following Jesus, his life didn't get any easier. It got far more difficult. His Jewish colleagues abandoned him. The Romans persecuted him and even tortured him. Other Christians steered clear of him out of fear because before Paul converted, he persecuted and even killed followers of Jesus. And so from the context of a prison cell, Paul writes this letter to Christians who are currently free, and he tells them to let go of anger, let go of any bitterness. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody goes through a difficult circumstance, and they come out of it, they come out the other end of it, not just surviving, but thriving. I want to know what their secret is. I want to know, how did you go through that without turning angry or bitter? I want to learn from a guy like, like this. And so let's take a look at what Paul writes in the next verse. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Notice how Paul tells us to be kind and compassionate here. But catch this. He doesn't say, be kind and compassionate to those who are kind and compassionate to you. He says, be kind and compassionate to the people who stole your, your, your cookies. And then he tells us to immediately forgive them. And so as we dive into Paul's words here, we learn something really important about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a decision. And I want to try and make clear what, what this choice is and isn't. First of all, forgiveness is not a choice that's immediately going to make all your hurt and all your pain go away. And forgiveness is not does not necessarily mean that you immediately trust the person again. There may be good reasons to not trust them uh, right away or maybe ever. Instead, forgiveness is a decision to cancel a debt. Because when someone has done something that has hurt me, that has harmed my future, I believe they owe me something because, because of what they've taken from me. But forgiveness is a decision to cancel that debt. And I would say, I would, I would say 90% of our anger and bitterness 
is connected to a relational debt we think somebody else owes us because of what they took from us, because our mom or dad left us when we were really little, and we feel like they took, a, they took from us the opportunity to have a happy childhood and family. All the other kids got that. We didn't get that. And our anger at our mother or father is connected to a relational debt I feel like they owe me. Or when our spouse left us for somebody else and shattered our self-worth because we don't feel like we're good enough anymore and left us in just financial ruins because of the, all the legal fees and we feel a relational debt they owe us. But forgiveness is a choice to cancel that debt and say, you don't owe me anymore. Again, doesn't mean that you begin trusting that person immediately or ever again. You know, you may need to put some boundaries in your life because you can't trust that person around your tray of cookies any, any, anymore. And it also doesn't mean that they're free of any consequences. Even after you forgive them, they may have some natural consequences from their decision. They may have some legal consequences. It, here's what it means. I release my right to pay back the pain, and I cancel the relational debt, and I trust God to determine whether to administer justice or grace. That's the beyond ordinary choice to forgive. All right, now there's two words here that are really important that make all the difference. Take a look at where, where Paul says uh, beyond ordinary forgiveness comes from. He says, forgive, look at these two words, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In other words, Paul says, do unto others as God has done unto you. Not do unto others as they deserve. Not do unto others as they've already done to you. But instead, do unto others as your heavenly Father has done unto you. Remembering that God has invited each one of us into a relationship with him, characterized by love and mercy and forgiveness and God says, in light of this relationship, I want you to do unto others as I have already done unto you. And let's be honest, everything in us wants to treat people the way they've treated us. Everything in us wants to treat other people based on what we think they deserve. But for those of us who take our relationship with God seriously, it changes everything because God says, I gave up my one and only son on your behalf, and I didn't give you what you deserve, condemnation. I gave you what you didn't deserve, grace and forgiveness and mercy. And when we let that truth move from our head down into our heart, it causes me to respond to the hurt that somebody else caused me the same way that God has responded to me. Sure, they don't deserve it, but neither do I. Sure, they're not worthy of it, but neither am I. Here's the truth. You'll never find freedom as long as you focus on that person who hurt you. You'll never find the motivation to forgive while focused on the person who caused you pain. You'll only find freedom and the motivation to forgive when you refocus on the one who's already forgiven you. And I know this is, like I said, this is really a tough subject. And so I want to give you some practical steps to take that I think will be helpful in forgiving other people. So let's start out. First of all, here's what I would suggest. Identify who you are angry with. And this may be the easiest step out of all of them because you may know exactly who it is and, and what they've done. But let me be clear. Ignoring the debt is not the same thing as canceling it. Pushing it down, you know, not dealing with it, 
that's not going to help us in the long run. And so I would encourage you to take a piece of paper, maybe take a stack of three-by-five cards and write that person's name down. And then step two, determine what they owe you. Because you cannot fully, you cannot forgive a debt that you haven't fully recognized. And this may take some time for you to, you, 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 you to consider. What do they owe you? What did they rob from you? What did they take from you? What is it that is never going to be a part of your life because of what this person did? What do they owe you? Maybe they took your childhood. Maybe they stole your reputation. Maybe they hijacked your, your marriage. Maybe they robbed your income. What is the debt they owe you? You may need to write multiple debts under that person's name so that you fully recognize their debt. And then you can do step three where you decide to cancel that debt. And as strange as this might sound, I would encourage you to create an event, okay, where you take that piece of paper or that stack of cards and you bury them or you burn them or you shred them, whatever it takes, because you made the decision to cancel those debts. Now, the debts are gone, but I promise you, the memories are not gone. And when those memories come back, it's a reminder to refocus not on the one who owed you a debt, but on the one who canceled yours. Now, one more step, and some of you are going to think this is really crazy, but here it is. Step number four, practice kindness toward the person who wronged you. Again, I'm not necessarily saying that you restore the relationship or that you trust the person again immediately or maybe ever, but showing kindness can help you release the pain, overcome the pain, and experience greater healing and, uh, and peace. That's why Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I'll give you a couple examples. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. Amazing story. Remember that? Joseph uh, has these uh, 12 brothers or 11 brothers that just hate him and, and resent him, and they sell him into slavery. Joseph stays faithful and and God blesses him. Years later, Joseph gets elevated to the number two leader in Egypt. A, a severe famine hits. Joseph's brothers go to Egypt to, to ask for grain. Joseph recognizes them. And he's got a great chance to pay them back. But instead, he not only forgives his brothers, he provides them with food and clothing and housing and money. Expressing kindness helped Joseph overcome the pain and experience greater freedom. I'll give you another example. A, a pastor, a friend of mine named Gene Apple, got married right out of college. He went to Las Vegas, and he led this church, Central Christian Church, to exponential growth. One day, his wife comes to him to tell him that uh, she was in love and involved with another man. And not just another man, one of Gene's friends. And Gene made all kinds of attempts to reconcile, but it never happened. Gene says, what kind of friend moves in on another friend's wife? I wanted to take a baseball bat and plant it right in his teeth, right in his face. And that was one of the kinder things, he says, I wanted to do. And then one morning, in his quiet time, he read this verse. If your enemy is hungry... Give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And Gene sensed God saying to him, you need to overcome this hatred 
by doing something positive for your enemy. And so Gene took out a yellow pad, legal pad, and he wrote him a letter. He said, because of what God has done to forgive me in my life, I forgive you. And I let this go. And along with the letter, Gene included a book that had been very, very meaningful to him. And he wrote, I hope this book is uh, meaningful to you. Gene says he prayed for this guy almost every day for several years. Says it was one of the hardest things that he's ever done. And Gene says, did it change him? I don't know. But here's what I do know. It changed me. And Gene Apple leads one of the most dynamic churches in the country uh, today. You know, maybe some of us need to write a letter or send an email this week. Or maybe you need to show kindness by praying for this person, asking God to bless him, bless her. Or maybe you show kindness to their children. Maybe you, maybe you give them a, a gift. It may not change the other person, but it'll change you and bring you greater healing and peace and freedom. Now, I know this, this may sound crazy to you. Maybe you're not convinced it's even possible, and, and, and maybe you're still thinking ordinary forgiveness is, is still going to happen, and uh, you're just going to wait you know, for that person to come back on their own and, and admit their mistake and beg you for forgiveness. And so let me ask you a question. If that person that you're angry with actually came to you and admitted their wrongdoing and took responsibility for what they did and begged you for forgiveness, even if they were to do this, isn't it true they couldn't repay their debt? They couldn't give you back those years. They couldn't give you back your reputation. They couldn't give you back that relationship. They couldn't give you back all those nights that you missed with your kids. I mean, the people you're angry with, angry with can't pay you back anyways. You see, really, there is no such thing, is there, as ordinary forgiveness. And so when we find ourselves in a place where we say, I can't forgive, we find ourselves holding a debt over somebody else's head that they can't repay. And sure, you know, we can hold on to it and we can justify reasons for holding on to it, but at the end of the day, we're the one that gets crushed by the weight of that uh, debt and we'll never find freedom until we find the path of beyond ordinary uh, forgiveness. And that path starts not with the other person, it starts by realizing that we were in the same position with God. You know, we had a debt hanging over our head that we couldn't repay. And so God canceled it for us. And see, the only way to become a person who extends beyond ordinary forgiveness is to also be a person who has received beyond ordinary forgiveness. Forgiven people are forgiving people. In the Bible, in the New Testament, it teaches us two ways that we acknowledge and we embrace this beyond ordinary forgiveness that God offers us. And you know what? We're actually going to do both of them tonight. It's going to be really exciting. The first way is called baptism. And we've got a group of people, a large group of people that have already signed up tonight to be baptized in this service today. And that's why we've got the, you know, the baptistry over here. You can see it's lit up and it's filled up. We like to call it our jacuzzi for Jesus, our hot tub for Jesus. And I checked it. It's like 90 degrees, and uh, it's, it's ready to go. And uh, you know what? Maybe you didn't sign up for baptism. We still have room for you. You know, we'd love to include you. In fact, we've got, you, know, you saw the table in the lobby. We've got shirts and shorts and towels. We've got everything you need 
And uh, we've, got you, we've got you covered. We'd love to include you today because baptism not only expresses your faith in Jesus, it helps you internalize and feel confident that you've received beyond ordinary forgiveness from God. Now, right before we baptize people, we ask them to repeat a statement of their faith in Jesus. And uh, since we're going to do baptisms here in a few minutes, uh, I thought I would just invite everybody uh, to do that uh, as well. So if you would, please, would you stand with me uh, for, for a moment here? And um, we're going to repeat a statement of faith. And of course, if you don't believe these words, you know, don't, don't, don't say them. But um, this is an opportunity for those getting baptized uh, in, a, in a little while and uh, anyone else to affirm their faith in Jesus. So you, would you repeat these words after me? Ready? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I take him as my Lord and Savior. Yeah, and if you, and if you believe those words and you have never made your own decision to get baptized, I'll tell you what, we got a, tonight's a great opportunity for you to take that step. So baptism is the first way. And if you want, you can, you can head out right now. You can head to the aisle and head to the lobby. There's a table. There's volunteers, a team of people, and they'll, they'll help you uh, get started in the baptism uh, process. So baptism is the first way. And then the second way we acknowledge that we receive this beyond ordinary forgiveness is communion. We do this each week to remind us of the extraordinary sacrifice that Jesus made to give us this uh, gift. And, uh, you know, if this is all new to you, if communion is all new to you, it's okay to take a pass on it, but we have an open communion here to anybody who believes in Jesus and says yes uh, to Jesus. And so I'm going to pray for us while you stay standing. I'm going I'm to pray for us. And then right after I pray, if uh, you're going to get baptized uh, today, uh, you can just make your way to the aisle and then head to the lobby. There's a table out there with a team and uh, they'll give you a shirt and towel and, and help you get ready. And then the, after I pray, the rest of us will be seated and uh, we'll share communion together. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that is extended to us. Though we did not earn it and we do not deserve it. And God, the irony is there are many people in our life that don't deserve it either. And yet we withhold it from them though we welcome and receive it from you. And so, God, right now, I know that there are you know, many of us holding bitterness or anger or resentment towards somebody, and we want to be free from that. So would you give us the strength to do that? Would you, would you give us the ability to nail down what the debt is so that we can cancel it? God, I pray that you would give us the courage to take those steps that we talked about tonight. And God, as we prepare to take communion, we thank you for this reminder of your son's gift to us and the giving of his life so that we could be pardoned from our sin and be free. And God, I thank you for the people who've signed up for baptism today as a way to acknowledge and embrace your forgiveness. And God, I know there are other people here who are ready for this step, but have yet to submit to baptism. And so I ask you to give them that extra courage right now to say yes to this command that Jesus gave everyone who follows him. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> 